This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello and welcome to The Morning Break. My name is Graham Stanley, and my special guest today is Phil Longwell, who works as a study skills tutor at the University of Central Lancashire in the UK. We'll be talking about effective feedback, among other things. Please join me live if you can, and take part in the conversation. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to the morning break, everyone. I'm Graham, speaking to you live from Mexico City. On today's show, I'll be talking to Phil Longwell. Phil is a study skills tutor at the University of Central Lancashire in the UK, but I also know him because we work together in the Learning Technology Special Interest Group of the Teacher Association, IATEFL. He has been an English language teacher since 2007 and has worked in four countries abroad, as well as in the UK. He's known online as Teacher Philly. So remember, if you are listening live and would like to join us live, either to post questions for Phil to answer or to actually call in and speak to us, then what you should do is please download the Podbean app, visit ttradio.org and click on Listen Live on the home on the homepage. This should take you directly into the show. And there you can post comments and ask questions during conversation. And then once I've spoken to Phil about his work, I'll open up to you to any of you who want to call in. You can call in by pressing the icon at the top of the screen on your phone's app. Click this and I'll be able to connect you. Now I'll be talking to Phil right after the Teacher Talk radio news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development Every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. 
stevewoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit stevewoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half-term and join me for two days and receive up to 1360 pounds in bursary terms and conditions apply find out more at stevewoods.co.uk here at Witherslack Group, we are celebrating the launch of our new Luxborough Court School in Chigwell, Essex, with a very special one-day autism conference titled Enabling Inspirational Education. Taking place on Wednesday the 29th of June from 10am at Luxborough Court School, our event is dedicated to providing practical advice to education professionals working with neurodiverse children and young people. The event is free to attend and presentations on the day will focus on creating cultures of aspiration and excellence, supporting the emotional well-being of pupils, autism-friendly classrooms and managing challenging behaviour. So, whether you're looking to add to your extensive understanding or are new to SEN and wanting to build your knowledge, our conference will offer an amazing opportunity to engage with experts and network with colleagues from across the sector. Don't miss your chance to claim your free ticket and we hope you can join us for what's sure to be a fantastic day. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash events to register or contact events at witherslackgroup.co.uk for more information. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. The Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, has called for all pupils in primary schools to receive free school meals. He wants an urgent expansion of the scheme to include all students in years 3, 4 and 5, regardless of household income. He said, free school meals were something my family relied upon and every child in London deserves that safety net. With the summer holidays on the horizon, it is essential that the government act now to reinstate the meal voucher system to give families dignity and nutritional choice over the summer. This should then be followed by the introduction of universal free school meals for all primary school children from the start of the new school year in September. Multiple London councils are already leading the way on this and showing what can be done if we put the health and well-being of our young people first in such perilous economic times. It is time for the government to step up. Official figures show that inflation reached 9% in April as the cost of food, energy and transport surges and is expected to reach 11% later this year. Polling by YouGov found that 83% of adults in London say their household cost of living has increased over the last six months. The NASUWT Teachers Union is calling for a 12% pay increase for teachers this year and has said it will ballot members in England, Wales and Scotland 
for industrial action if its demands are not met. Dr Patrick Roach, NAS UWT General Secretary said, Teachers are suffering, not only from the cost of living crisis, which the whole country is grappling with, but 12 years of real terms pay cuts, which has left a 20% shortfall in the value of their salaries. If the government and the pay review body reject a positive programme of restorative pay awards for teachers, then we will be asking our members whether they are prepared to take national industrial action in response. The government wrongly assumed teachers would simply stand by as they erode pay and strip our education system to the bone. But this weekend, thousands of teachers from every corner of the UK joined together to demonstrate our strength, unity and determination to stand up and to fight back. Our message is clear and has now been delivered directly to the government on their doorstep. We will not allow cuts to our members' pay and attacks on their pensions. If a pay rise is not awarded, it will be won by our members in workplaces through industrial action. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, in this week's Two Minute Tech, we're going to look at how smart is a smart pen. Smart pens and notebooks are a bit of tech that make your handwritten notes become more useful and more importantly, digitally accessible. There are three main technologies used, app-based, image capture-based and real-time capture. Today is a look at the thinking process you can apply when looking at a new gadget. Obviously, the first decision I always make is not going to be considered. That being, is it a gadget? Yes, then I need it. Throughout this, the trusty spreadsheet will assist to calculate cost. Going as cheap as possible, I found a diary and 10 pens delivered for $5.99. So that is my baseline. If I wanted an academic planner, the baseline would obviously increase. So, what's the next cheapest but digital option? I found a reusable wipe clean diary. This is a few different formats, but a decent one I saw was a calendar template on one side and a line template on the other. Both were wipe clean. You downloaded an app on your phone to take a picture. The app recognized the diary entries and the handwriting and then converted it to digital. There's a lot of different makes on the market, so do compare and read reviews. A guide price would be around £40 and a quick calculation in my spreadsheet says it would take six years to match the cost of a cheap diary. My question there is, will it last that long? Also, at this point, it is worth noting that there are free apps out there that let you do the same with your ordinary diary. So really, the cheapest way to go digital is to use a free app and take a picture of what you already have. If you still want a new gadget, your decision may depend on if you feel a big lump of plastic is more environmentally friendly or you prefer the features of the capture app that's being used over a free one. The final technology is real-time note-taking. Now, when I saw this, I instantly needed one. Then I remembered I type everything or use voice capture for meetings, so I'd never use it. However, that is not a reason not to want one. This more expensive tech uses a special pen and notebook and communicates in real time with an app so you can see what you're writing on screen as well as in the book. Also, like the others, it will recognise handwriting and convert to digital characters to allow pasting into other applications. At £110 for a notepad, the pen and the app, it isn't cheap, taking 18 years to break even and with the cheapest replacement notebook costing £16 as well, this will actually never break even. In conclusion, I recommend you stick to your diary and 
and find an app you like to capture it. Or if you have a laptop with touchscreen, you probably can do all of this anyway. For me, smart pens are not that smart when it comes to price. You do get what you pay for though. Do you have a smart pen? Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022 and follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back. I'm here with my very special guest, Phil Longwell, joining me live in the studio. And we're also joined by Jane, Chris and Michelle, among others. How are you, Phil? Phil. Are you there, Phil? Can't hear you for some reason. Okay, I'm unmuted. Yes, I can hear you. Ah, can you hear your voice. <laughs> can you hear me loud and clear now, Graham? Loud and clear, Phil. Thank yeah. you. Sorry about that. How no, are I, you doing? I, I think you unmuted me, but I tried, maybe I muted myself. <laughs> so, Probably. yeah, I'm very well, Graham. Thank you for inviting me on. I've just got back to Preston uh, last night after a few days uh, with my family in North Norfolk. Uh, got up ridiculously early, as you probably saw on Twitter. And uh, that's because yes, of the summer solstice. Yeah, the summer solstice. Of I understand course. you get up about 4.30 in the morning as well. Well, I get up at 4.30 um, on the days I have to give this show because the show starts at 5am for me. But normally I get up at 5 o'clock actually to write. So oh. it's not that it's not that early for me now. Yeah, no, I got up and uh, watched the light beaming through my window. Then I watched uh, Stonehenge or the sun rising over Stonehenge for about an hour on YouTube. Wow. Actually. Glad to feel be alive, really. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. That's really, uh, really wonderful. I'd forgotten it was the solstice until, until I saw your tweet, actually. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, um, Phil, as I said in my introduction, you work for University of Central Lancashire as a study skills tutor. Could you tell me and everyone else a little bit more about that? Yeah, so uh, since September, October last year, uh, I've been a study skills tutor at the University of Central Lancashire in Preston, where I'm speaking from. Uh, I work in a team which is known as Academic Skills Development, or informally known as WISER, mm-hmm. uh, and we are part of the Centre for Collaborative Learning, so that's a much wider team which in, involves lots of other people on, in ver- with various different roles, uh, including uh, technology uh, and training staff. It's a secure job. Uh, as I say, I started last year, but I started with a full start. Um, I know, I'm no longer full-time or even part-time an English language teacher by day. Okay. Um, the, I, I sort of had a problem with work throughout through the whole year because I, I was able yeah. to get five jobs in the summer, uh, but I could only do one. And then the rest of the year, you know, I wasn't able to, I wasn't gainfully employed throughout the year. So I was very grateful to be offered this job with, uh, with UCLan. And uh, fortunately, my new employer kept me on uh, even when I wasn't turning up for work. Um, and I'm feeling more settled now, both in my role, which I'm enjoying very much, and also in Preston. That's fantastic. I've never been to Preston, but it, from what I can tell, it sounds like a great place to live, actually. And uh, the University of Lancashire, I, I know, is a really good university. Uh, I know people have worked there, and uh, they spoke very highly of it. So that's great news. I know, um, Phil, you've you've also worked in other countries as well. When, As you said before, you worked as a... Uh, as an English language teacher as well, principally when you were an English language teacher, you worked abroad, didn't you? What one of those, which of those experiences would you say were the most memorable, for example? Uh, the most memorable? Um, 
Well, I started off in Tanzania, funnily, volunteering in, a, in, a, in an orphanage um, near Mwanza in Tanzania. And actually, that was with Tom Rogers, who, as you know, went on <laughs> to set up this very platform, Teachers Talk Radio. So, but I knew Tom back then, and uh, he knows me from then. I haven't seen him for about 10 years, funnily enough. Anyway, it was there that the kids called me Teacher Philly. They didn't call me Phil or Philip, they called me Philly. That's why I adopted that nickname, Teacher Philly, for my Twitter handle. So as I say, I was a volunteer for about three months there, um, ending with going up Kilimanjaro. Then I went back to work in a bar in my hometown for six months. And then I applied to work in a, in a Hagwon, in a you know, young learners program in, in South Korea, in Changwon, in South Korea. And I thoroughly enjoyed my year in, uh, in Korea. I loved the culture. I loved the food, the music. Uh, I traveled all around the country from north to south, east to west. Uh, it was tiring. Um, I also called a, uh, bought a camcorder. Uh, and now I bought that in Seoul and I started making films and editing those with uh, Microsoft Movie Maker, I think. I've also worked uh, in Beijing, in China, an arts uh, school, an arts college. Uh, and this was challenging, uh, interesting set of students, uh, full immersion because I was living with a Chinese woman uh, and who didn't speak much English and her nine year old son in Wangjing. That's the northeast section of the city. Um, my line manager was, was from Melbourne. And for years, she was my referee when applying for jobs. And it was actually uh, a local version of Bell Educational Trust. So if you know about, have ever heard of Bell Educational Trust or Bell International? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've had a few jobs with them over the, uh, over the years, including language activities programs in Cambridge. Uh, but in, in, in Cathal, the Central Academy of Fine Arts, um, it, was a, it, was, it was challenging. As I say, the circumstances were challenging. The goalposts kept moving uh, by the people <laughs> in charge of the course. But these students were very interesting because they were artistic, they were graphic designers, they were wanna be uh, animators, architects, and they were given various projects to work on. So it wasn't just English learning, it was English, almost clear, it was learning English through art, I guess. Right, wow. Mm. Yeah, Amazing. I've also worked in Saudi Arabia as well, which is hot and dry, also challenging, but I think I made a lasting impression. Vietnam, which is hot but sticky. <laughs> cope, didn't really cope there. Uh, I think Saudi was better, and I left uh, Vietnam after a few months. As I say, most most jobs I've, I've ever worked on overseas have been on like preparatory programs, university programs, uh, pre-university for mostly mostly young adults. I'd say. Wow, that's great. You know, I'm going to have to ask you to expand a little bit more on your beginnings with in Tanzania with Tom. <laughs> uh, mentioning that, I, I know that there'll be people listening who will love to know more um so that sounds like a really interesting experience working you said with is a volunteer in an orphanage mm. could, you, could you tell us a little bit more about that yeah i always have to be a little bit careful because uh tom's okay. in charge basically <laughs> and um uh you know he's a bit circumspect about what can be revealed but it's not it's not it's not i have to be careful oh, with, with what i say no it's even not even more it's not intriguing well it's even not confidential information it's just um <laughs> well he's a school teacher and has been a history teacher for, for many years including of the course. department um and sometimes you know kids what kids can be like they if they find any information about you any sort of in brackets no of course then, then they, they like to use it again so. it was it was more about just the actual the work and and the experience of doing that it sounds like okay. it's quite a well, quite yeah, I mean, a, I, uh, well i'd never been to africa before graham i'd never volunteered yeah. before i'd never taught english before or taught anything before really apart from something i did at uh, university the first time and it was basically teaching under a mango tree in, wow. in, in the heat or, or the heavy rain because it rained a hell of a lot in, in Tanzania as well. Uh, a battered old blackboard. I mean, we're talking like very, very battered blackboard. I could hardly write on it. Chalk, 
uh, chalk, but no, nothing to erase the chalk with. So you'd end up getting it all over your hands and actually wiping it on the children's hair, strangely. Um, and it was it was geography. Um, I think Tom did a bit of history. Um, we had Georgina Ballesteros, who was from Mexico City, where you're you're from, or where oh, yeah. you are, yeah. where you're from, but where you are in. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and she um, did a piñata party, would you believe, one, one time for the kids. Wonderful. Uh, we also did um, jumping with the Maasai. There was Maasais that guarded our compound. And I did a sort of a quiz called Run Around. It was an old ITV show with Mike Reed called Run Around. Yes, I, I remember that. Yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> a, B, C. All right, are you ready? <laughs> Go! You know, like that. <laughs> and there's videos on YouTube of, of, of me teaching yeah. in Tanzania. Uh, there's also videos of me lip syncing along to a John Mayer song called Covered in Rain, which is all down to Tom, who, who introduced me to that song. And yeah, it was just it was a fa fantastic experience. Nothing unlike anything I'd ever done before. And it basically gave me the interest and the love to, to get into teaching more. Wow, that sounds uh, quite, like quite a quite an incredible experience to have. The, the other thing you mentioned, which I, I definitely want to pick you up on, was um you said you picked up a camcorder in Seoul, when, which is where you started making films. Because I know that is a particular, particularly interesting hobby or pursuit of yours. Mm. And you've made lots and lots of films, some of which you can see on your website as well, isn't it? Which is, I believe it's, is it teacher, it's teacherphilly.com, isn't it? Yeah, just teacherphilly.com, yeah. You know, I have to say that before you mentioned it, um, I always thought it was Teacher Phil for some reason. I'd not seen that extra I on the end. So that was my mistake. I, th I think there was an American who taught in Korea who also had a Twitter handle with Teacher Phil. So I had okay. to adopt something that was a bit different. So I just added the I on the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So tell me about the camcorder and what were the first films that you, you, you made? Presumably they were in Korea that you made them. Uh, yeah, they were in Korea. So I bought the camcorder in Seoul, uh, a market there or uh, IT market there. And from there I made, well, I was I was tasked on the side with making a promotional film for a Korean, um, I try to think of a Korean institute or a language school. Or not, uh -huh. It wasn't a language school. It was a, it was a recruiter, basically. Uh, it was yeah. a Korean woman. I think her name was Anna Jeon. Uh, she was based in Seoul. And she wanted me to make a promotional film about teaching in English in South Korea. And at that point, you didn't need a CELTA. You didn't need much in the way of certificates. We're talking 2007. And uh, you just needed, I think, a degree, if, if memory serves me right. And um, so I went, as part of the reason, part of an excuse to go around the country filming different places. And so I made this promo film. Looking back, it's, it's very ropey. The editing's not great. The sound is mm. awful. But it was my first experience of trying to do something like a promotional film and thinking about the needs of the audience or the needs of the person who had hired me to do it. I'm not even sure I got paid any money. I can't really remember. I, <laughs> I just did it for the love of it. But what I do love is video editing. I, uh, you know, I started off with Microsoft Movie Maker and I've gone on to other video editing tools in the meantime. And yes, you're right, I've made lots of films, not always for business, a lot for pleasure. <laughs> yeah. What If I were to ask you what was your most, or not your favourite, but your the, the film that you've made that you're most proud of, for example, what would you say? Um... <laughs> <laughs> was that a difficult question to answer or just one of them well, one of the films well, that you enjoyed I'll, I'll, making or well, okay. that you're um, proud 
okay, I, re I recently shared uh, a video uh, of me, um, basically a pop video of me yeah. doing a song about academic integrity. You may or may not know it's called Paraphrase. I originally yes. sang it. I originally sang it <laughs> ten years ago at the University of Warwick with Steve Mann um, yeah. there as on on our sort of in the chaplaincy there. 2012 and it's a it was just the 10 year anniversary of it recently but i've also performed it live in norwich when i was at a pre-sessional in, in at the uea 2018 and i did a pop video during lockdown when i worked at the university of sheffield and it's it's available to watch and chris who's in the room has just recently seen it but i kept it quiet from my work colleagues for about six months until the time was right but academic integrity is is, a, is, is still a, a relevant topic so i used kind of comedy and a parody to to say make a serious point about um plagiarism basically Oh, that sounds great. Um, excellent, a lot of fun. Um, yeah, making films a lot of fun, and uh, I must admire your bravery. Uh, admire your bravery for singing as well, and filming filming yourself singing. Well, I can't actually sing, but it's it's more of a performance, and it's karaoke singing, basically. But believe me, Phil, you can sing a lot better than I can sing. I would never film myself <laughs> singing. <laughs> Not many people would probably. <laughs> no, I've definitely stepped up to karaoke a couple of times, and I've seen people i've seen videos resulting videos of people filming me and i've then tried to tell myself i should never step up and sing anything again or try, but, try uh, to stop people from ever sharing them on social media that's it. yeah i think i think i had to uh i don't remember remember the last time i think the last time it happened was in montevideo at a party and i did a duet of roxanne and i was shown oh. the video the next day and immediately it was like please can you tell me you're not going to share this on social media? I suppose, I suppose at least you could do Sting's accent, can't you? Because you're both in the northeast. Yeah, but he, he doesn't. He doesn't sing Roxanne with a Geordie accent. <laughs> <laughs> How does he sing it then with an American? Oh, I'm not. I'm not going to be caught into that trap. For oh, right, gonna... okay. you can, I'll let you ask the questions. Anyway, changing the subject very quickly. <laughs> uh, I'd like to talk to something that uh, so turn to something that has been recently become particularly interesting to you. Effective feedback. Hmm. Which is the title of the of the show, really? And um, could you explain a little bit why this is something you became particularly interested in, and what effective feedback means to you? Well, okay, thanks. Well, as you know, I'm, I've been a language teacher for the, most of the last twelve years, um, and I've always been interested in the student experience when learning a language. I've, I've never been a particularly good language learner myself, but that's fine because. I was always hired to, to teach English, not to, to learn it myself. And as a, as a teacher, we routinely test our learners. And quite often, this is an ongoing yeah. formative kind of assessment. And I've taught on, say, five pre-sessional courses. Two, I mentioned earlier, UEA, also University of Sheffield, two courses there. And feedback has to be given on essay drafts, presentations. Um, and in Sheffield, lessons based around uh, Tyson Seaburn's uh, academic reading circles. Uh, and peer feedback as well. So on some of these courses, peer feedback is encouraged. And that's important too. And this can be effective, but also it can often, it's when the teacher is, or the learner is actually looking for the teacher for kind of authoritarian feedback. So yeah. they, you know, peer feedback is, is, is useful and can be used, but often there's a cultural reason why some students, certainly from certain backgrounds, prefer the teacher to give them the feedback because they think it has more weight to it. And my, mm -hmm. in my experience, learners trust more what they have to say from a teacher than their classmates. However, I think peer learning is, 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 is equally valid. Mm. I think that both have a place and the teacher should, shouldn't not be the fountain of all knowledge. And I think that's especially true on pre-sessional courses 
where you know we try to foster or try to encourage learner autonomy as students head to the UK you know, for a higher education experience. And, yes. and they kind of need to get away a little bit from some cultural habits that they've got, an expectation where the teacher provides everything. Um, of course. And I mean, in terms of effective feedback, I read a paper recently, which was uh, uh, published, I think, in 2020 by Philip Kerr. I think you know Philip Kerr. Yes, uh, I do. 2020, it was Cambridge University Press. It was a paper about, so this was about English language teaching. It was five characteristics, mm-hmm. characteristics of effective feedback. Um, and Kerr examined five main characteristics for language learners, noting differences between spoken and written forms. And the former is more spontaneous, direct, and often done with others present compared with the latter. They both, however, have the aim of being specific and related to learning outcomes. In addition, Kerr says, it should be appropriately challenged, target or challenging, I should say, targeting areas where improvement is possible. Furthermore, he says, it requires the active involvement of the learner and a nudge towards greater autonomy, as I said earlier. And in yeah. other words, to be effective, it needs to prompt a learner, and this is a direct quote from, from mm-hmm. what he said, needs to prompt a learner to modify their knowledge, language, language production or learning strategies. So whilst feedback often highlights errors, receiving feedback yeah. on correct responses or positive performance is also needed. And I noted when I looked at it again this morning that he quoted the recently and sadly departed Zoltan Dernier, who did mm. a lot of research into motivation of language learning and second language acquisition. Um, it's all too easy, Dernier stated, in the course of a lesson to focus on errors and to miss positive contributions. But learners need to know when they are doing something well. Wow, yeah, thanks for that. And uh, you're right, I... Zoltan Dornier um, passed away recently, didn't he? Which is such a shame. It was such a surprise to everybody as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, um, the feed- feedback uh, you talked about, a lot of that is done with um, with screen capture software. Is that right? Um, it can be. It's not always, though. <laughs> um... But the feedback that you would... I think you talked quite a lot about it in an article you've published on <coughs> on the um, on the University of Central Lancashire mm. website, mm. where you mention screen capture software quite a lot. Which I think is it is, as you say, not the only way of doing effective feedback. Of course not, but it is quite an innovative way of of being able to give lots of students very good feedback on their writing, for example. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, so, yeah, this post that you were mentioning was just published just last week, last uh, Thursday, I think. Um, and I mentioned Kerr's paper in it, along with the work of Russell Stannard, who you know and I know well, uh, the owner of the well-known teacher training videos. Yes. And I wrote this post about two months ago, actually. <laughs> um, right. And I think we were going to speak a couple of months ago, but then I fell ill and I delayed both that's right, yeah. Being a, being a guest on here and also the post. But it was published last week. I say we, it's publicly available and the Centre for Collaborative Learning uh, like things to be to be read. And it, get, it has quite a wider re- readership, their, their blog post. But in terms of what you asked about the screen capture side of it, of giving feedback using screen capture, well, I draw all my experience on using screen capture software entirely from Russell's work. Anyone that knows me knows he was uh, Russell was my personal tutor at the University of Warwick, 2011 mm. to 2012. 
And it was during this time that I had to specialise, or I did specialise in ICT and multimedia. And one of the things we had to do was write a, a, a techie blog post, an ICT blog post. And we had to try out tools and software and write about them. And that was one of the modules. So that was the first time I came across things like uh, Jing, TechSmith's Jing and Snagit and ultimately uh, Camtasia, which is like a high-end video editing uh, and screen recorder. So it's not just a screen recorder, Camtasia, it's also a video editor. We also had back there a, a North American thing called My Brain Shark, which has since gone. And there was Screencast-O-Matic, a free tool, which I think is still available and a lot of pe people use. Yes, I still use that one. <laughs> yeah, Screencast-O-Matic, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's a free tool. Uh, there may be a watermark on there, but it, it's, a, it's a very quick go-to tool just to, uh, for basic screen capture. I know work colleagues that use Snagit, and that's a nice, straightforward screen capture tool, but it's not an editing uh, it's not a piece of editing software like, like Camtasia, but generally if you get one, you, you generally get the other one. I mean, my brain shark is uh, something I mentioned. I wrote about that for, for this ICT uh, blog that I mentioned. Another one is Loom. So a few years ago, there was uh, a Google plugin called Loom. Uh, yes. And I made a video tutorial for Russell's YouTube channel, which, uh, which I was helping him with during the first six months of the pandemic. But there's quite a lot of other tools out there. Obviously, uh, in Microsoft, you have Stream, and Stream will, will do a screen capture of your uh, of your of your screen but in terms of um my interest um well my interest is similar to russell's interest in terms of wow you know if you can record the screen you can give multimedia feedback it doesn't just have to be written feedback so the article goes on to talk about Turnitin, and Turnitin, as you probably know is a global repository mm -hmm. for student essays and widely used at universities in the uk and overseas and uh, commonly at uh, uk universities written work is marked feedback generated via Turnitin. Um, and it's a widely used tool primarily for checking similarity against existing submissions and to root out potential plagiarism. However, right. it's also a way that tutors and lecturers will give quick marks and free comments in there, like a feedback studio, I think they call it. Um, they can also say if any learning outcomes have been met, or state these have been met and they can be graded accordingly. And these can be highlighted in Turnitin and comments made as to whether the student has or has not uh, passed this. However, there are some weaknesses in how effective this is from the student's perspective. And the point is that a lot of the students I see now only get written feedback and will only get written feedback because it takes time to, to do anything other than written feedback. But I also run a workshop called Acting on Feedback, and this has proved to be quite popular as students often feel there's a gap, I think, between receiving their feedback from a, a module assignment and knowing what to do for next time. So it's about dealing with the feedback and their response to that and how they can improve. So the question I pose in the workshop is whether students would prefer something other than just written feedback, given that there's a lot of neurodiversity out there and students sometimes have choices in how they are assessed. There's often not so much flexibility, it seems, when it comes to how feedback is given and what any follow-up may consist of. Although, I do, as I say, I do appreciate that it's very time consuming to do anything other than written feedback. But, you know, you click the voice comment on, on Turnitin, it doesn't take all that long to make a voice comment, which yeah. adds or amplifies or goes into more detail about the, the written comments that, that have been got. Yeah. In fact, one, one of the things I love about screencast, uh, screen capture feedback is the idea is that potentially it can take less time um, once you get used to it, can't it? Because actually writing comments on a on an essay or whatever can be very time consuming, but actually clicking on a video and recording screencast feed screen capture feedback can be 
you know, you're basically giving the feedback in real time. So long as you have a, a clear idea of what you want to say about the piece of writing. And then the other thing, which I think is wonderful, is that it actually gives the opportunity, especially with language learners, if you're doing, if you're using it with language learners, for them to receive listening practice as well. Hmm. Great. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've used screen capture for private tuition when I've done um, you know, one-to-one private students, especially IELTS preparation, because I will recall, especially IELTS writing tasks one and two, I will get them up on the screen and I can highlight, I can annotate, I can zoom in and zoom out. Um, and it, 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 and all the feedback I've got, ironically, from, from those private students is, yeah, I really like how you annotate and, and, and highlight and focus in on certain aspects of my writing rather than me trying to scan my eyes quickly across the page and look for what you're talking about yeah i remember being totally blown away with by it when i saw russell presented back i don't know maybe it must have been around 2008 or something mm. around then um there's a question from jane jane ritter um who's with us in the studio um and she says where do you store everything i'm not i saw that in in, in the podbean app um I'm not quite sure what that means, Jane. I think I think Jane I think Jane was put the question in when you were talking about um obviously if you're making short screen capture videos, mm. um then the videos need to be stored. Right. And she probably is referring to the fact that some of the I mean, I know the answer to it depends on the um on the software, doesn't it? Some of the videos can be stored um on the actual, if you have a subscription to the software and others, you'd have to store them on your computer. But in general, how would you store your the videos that you create? So any any videos that I've recorded, say with Snagit or especially with Camtasia, yeah. if I've, I've used that, then that's gonna be on my desktop computer. And right. there's a large memory, uh, which I've never used up the full capacity of. And so I would store that on my desktop computer. However, you could store them in the cloud. Um, yeah. Something like Camtasia is very high end, so there's lots of options for sharing. And um, I know TechSmith used to have a, like an online storage facility. I know when I first came across it at Warwick with, with Russell, it was like there was an online repository where you'd store them all in the cloud, a bit like Zoom cloud recordings now. Yeah. Um, but I've never done that. I've always thought just just download them and store them. The thing with something like Camtasia, it can run a bit heavy. It can eat up a lot of. Um, is it CPU, you know, central processing yeah. unit? It can yes. it can run a bit heavy and can make your system. I mean, my old battered desktop's about four or five years old now, and it and it, even now it's making a, it's complaining. It's it's whirring away, and the fans going health for leather at the back because because it's mm. just it's just there's it runs heavy sometimes. So so rendering or saving your final uh, video edited video can take some time, but the quality of it is 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 great. I think, and that's why I like to. That's why I have paid for this software because it's it's one I like to use. Um, there are plenty of other um, tools out there. Plenty of other, um, say, non Windows devices as well. You know, uh, Macs have, have equivalents as well. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of storage, that would mostly be on my hard drive on my desktop, Jane. Yeah, storage. I think in general of um, things you produce takes up so much space and time. And one of the things I'm, I'm sure you have this problem as well, Phil, that I have is the amount of um, digital photos that I take or even video files or things that I've produced in the past and just trying to find them again, putting them on disk drives, 
putting them in the cloud, you end up sort of shoving them away in what you would, what I would probably call my virtual loft. And uh, then, you know, a couple of years go by and I think, oh, I'd love to find that. And actually trying to actually locate a, a particular file, yeah. whether it's uh, something you created, yeah. a worksheet for learners or a video or an audio etc has been very frustrating at times i'm sure you've had that problem as well do you have any tips for anyone who who like myself well, over the years i've got through quite a few virtual hard drives you know plug-in hard drives um portable hard drives because uh, at times i've just had to start again with a brand new computer because i've burnt them or <laughs> overworked wow. them shall we say um my computers have often complained to me of burnout and um the, the so so i've got a few hard drives with with old like the original so so when i make films for example i I will record a lot of stuff and then i will only use maybe 10 percent of it so there's a lot of the original files in an unedited raw format which yeah. i would probably store somewhere that would never see the light of day but yeah. it's interesting sometimes to go back to something and go oh I've, I've still got that which is like an unedited version of something that i produced and it's like sometimes it's useful or interesting to go back and say oh you've still got that uh, video, which you never used or something that I, I often capture uh, something. Um, it, it's, this <laughs> is a funny little aside here because there's, there's a record shop in Bristol called Longwell Records. All oh, right. Somebody, re somebody recently gave me a t-shirt of it and a tote bag, but I like it because it not only, you can read it two ways. You can either, it's either Longwell Records, the record shop, or it's Longwell mm. Records. And I've always been one for recording and documenting. So I quite like uh. that aspect of it. Yeah. So you can steal their name. Well, there's no one that works there that has my surname, <laughs> but um, I think the guy's name is Ian. But but uh, yeah, there's a Longwell Green in Bristol, and and this apparently there's some history. I've never been to Bristol though. <laughs> it's not. I don't think it's a. It's any relation or anything to do with my family directly. Of course, of course. So um, so Phil, we we have a connection because, as I said in the introduction, um, because we both worked. Uh, in the committee of the IETFL Learning Technology SIG. So I'd like to turn to technology in general, away from screencasting and video, uh, because I know you've been involved with lots of projects involving many different technologies for learning. So apart from screen capture technologies, which we've talked quite a lot about, what learning technologies have you been or particularly interested in? Um, I guess all those online technologies which enable learning and teaching to take place so you know virtual learning environments um i don't know if we can still call them learning virtual learning environments um, yeah i think so i think so yeah is that right I, I met somebody from blackboard the other day and i think they, they have another term for it now I oh I, th I think it's the, maybe it's the virtual the v word i don't know commercially uh people are always reinventing themselves i think you know just to sound a bit more modern but i think vle's virtual learning environments or learning management systems lms's they're yes. still in i think lms is the mm. is the term that i hear more about more of yeah. these days but well yeah i mean i wrote about vle's back in 2011 that was the first summary i ever did for the elt chat you know the elt chat on twitter yes uh, and i wrote 16 summaries for that um wow. and the only other person that wrote as many was sue Anan, whose birthday is today actually so happy birthday to happy sue, birthday sue yeah she's the only <laughs> other person that got a gold medal for writing as many as 16 summaries marissa was was hard to give these away but if you haven't got 16 summaries that, and i retired after that basically and the summaries are on those summaries are on your yeah. web, your website as well haven't you yeah there's they? a link there's a page at the top of my website 
either the fourth or fifth tab along, which is yeah. all the summaries that I've written that goes back 10, 11 years to, to that one. I think the second one was on spelling, but the one on VLEs was written. I wasn't even part of that chat, but I, right. I picked up on the um, the Twitter. Well, how come and what we were using at the time? There was a, there was a piece of software at Sue and Marisa Constantinidis yeah. used to capture all the tweets within a, within a given hour. And they would send that to the summary writer, and then the summary writer would try and make try and make head or tail of it, or, or trying to make some sense of it. And and I so I'd, I'd use that one as a practice, and yeah, that was about Moodle and Edmodel, and um, I think even Second Life got a mentioning. And I think Graham, you you've had experience of Second Life. I haven't, but uh, yeah. Second Life as a learning environment. That's right. Yeah, that uh, back in two thousand and seven, etc., and 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 from onward from then, I uh, use Second Life along with Marissa and a number of other people that uh, are involved were involved in ELT chat as well. Mm. But in terms of the video conferencing software, I mean, obviously with the pandemic, I, some of the tools that I've been using for quite a few years suddenly became very very popular. I mean, I've been using Skype for years. Uh, yeah. I first used Zoom in, I think, 2017. But so, so Zoom suddenly exploded, didn't it? Zoom, everyone got yeah. of Zoom. And, and even, even COBRA meetings, the UK government were hold, being held in, in Zoom, which wasn't, That's right. secure, wasn't particularly secure in 2020 when, when the first lockdown happened. But more recently, I've added Microsoft Teams to that. I mean, I was employed by um, Adult Learning Norfolk County Council a couple of years ago or a year and a half ago. Yeah, um, And I was weirdly, I felt like a bit of an imposter, really, because I was training staff to use Teams and I didn't know how to use Teams myself. <laughs> <laughs> it was like how how to ever get imposter syndrome. The trouble is you even if I know one thing, I know more than some people know about Teams. Yeah, um, I think also also, Phil, I think these these tools like Teams, you know, if, if you've had a lot of experience with Zoom, then Teams, you know, it, works in a very similar way doesn't it there are differences but it's similar yeah it's it's uh, it's quite intuitive um it's it's just the channels thing i think it's it's the down and the across so it's the tabs across and the channels down it can you can lose stuff in teams quite easily but oh, I've, yeah I've got, I've got used to using it now i think every, every 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 tool every video conferencing tool like zoom or teams or skype or whatever they all have their advantages i think and their disadvantages uh, i feel like a Chinese student writing an EAP essay now. They all have their pros and cons. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, you may remember, Graham, I presented a webinar on getting students to work together in Blackboard Collaborate for the LT. Yes, in I do. I do. God, that was a technical nightmare. That was really challenging <laughs> because Collaborate is not set up for 70, 80 people. It really isn't. And, and connectivity is an issue there. Um, something else I mentioned to the person I met from Blackboard the other day, actually. You know, problems mm -hmm. of connectivity, uh, if people are accessing the, the Collaborate or the room from another country, um, it would be, it's quite challenging, quite challenging. Anyway, I think there was a video of that somewhere, isn't there, on the MT6 channel. Um, yeah, that was based on my experience at Sheffield uh, in 2020. Yeah, so yeah, a lot of those um, tools you mentioned, it's, it's interesting how things suddenly become used such as zoom during the pandemic of course the the value of zoom sort of shot up and as soon as people started uh started exploring it realized just how wonderful it was used it for all sorts of different things the other thing i found was um suddenly i stopped using skype skype was such a an important tool for me and then it just i've just stopped using it. i can't remember the last time i used skype i don't know about you 
Well, I think Zoom. Well, I do use. Well, that's true. Actually, have I used Skype recently? No, because because um, I I I I moved over to te to Zoom or Teams. Really, I've I've used Zoom or Teams the last two years. I think not Skype. I used to use Skype a lot, and Skype kind of had to adjust to Zoom because Zoom suddenly changed the whole game, didn't it? Um, two yeah. years ago, it it just changed everything because it had like, you know, I just it just it just exploded in terms of its worldwide usage. Um, somebody, uh, there was lots of memes going around thinking that um, that, that Zoom, the company Zoom, were responsible for the pandemic <laughs> because so many people were buying it. <laughs> so uh, I yeah, don't know conspiracy there's, theories. <laughs> there's so many conspiracy theories out there. You, uh, I, I try to keep away from them if I can. Uh, me too. I try to. It's just it's um yeah it's it's just it's it's, it, it's settled down now, and I think teams. Teams really had to work hard to pull itself up to to get to a level where not not the VLE side of Teams, but the video conferencing, the live synchronous meeting part of the, of it really. You know, because Teams yeah. designed for meetings, wasn't it? It's designed for work meetings, and that's it right. Had to became more of a teachery you know tool um, for classes, not so much meetings. Um, that's what they had to do. They had to quickly, rapidly think about because they didn't really have breakout rooms much well teams didn't really have exactly um whereas zoom like we've got breakout rooms we're good to go on breakout rooms except they're not because you can't share directly from the main screen into a breakout room easily in zoom it may have changed now but that used to be one of the downsides with zoom but when blackboard collaborate you can easily share and you can the teacher or the facility control who sees what in each room yeah, so, yeah. no definitely i have the experience the same experience as you Phil, I think we uh, started off using Zoom and then I was told at work that we couldn't use Zoom uh, because of fears over there, you know, well, the security, etc. Yeah. Um, and after a particular incident, I think, which I never got to find out any details about, but it was particularly embarrassing. So we moved, we, we were told that we had to use Teams and at first it was very it was very difficult to to make the change. I think partly because once you're used to something working in a particular way and the features, etc., then you, you don't. And if you don't find them in the new tool, then it's um, it's difficult. But I I happily use Teams now for um, as an LMS and for meetings and for webinars, etc. There are some things that I, I I think I still prefer Zoom when it comes down to it. But it's certainly got a lot better Teams than it was. Indeed. So um, I'd love to ask, there are people listening in live, I know, and hanging around in the studio. If you'd like to join us and join the conversation, talk to Phil, ask questions with using your own voice, etc. And then I'd love to, to love for you to join us. I won't name you all, but um, I can see you there. Um, please step in. If you'd prefer just to listen, that's fine as well. And we can just continue, Phil talking about some of the other things that I think I know that you're um, interested in. It's very, very easy because I know that there's so much, you have so many different interests. Just going to your website, I think, is it's amazing just how many things you've, you've been involved in. Um, what about the education during the pandemic and post-pandemic? Mm. How, how do you think, how did you see that affecting students, for example, and... Well, um, um, yeah, I mean, the pandemic was the thing that the, the global, the one thing that has affected everyone and everything. And um, I've, I am 
I, I'm more interested in the student experience than I ever have ever have been. But for yeah. three or four years, those people that know me knows my interest has been in mental health. Yeah, and I was particularly interested in how uh, teachers' mental health, in particular. I mean, everyone's mental health was affected to, to one degree or another by being yeah. locked down, by being not allowed to leave your home, or maybe for an hour of exercise a day. And it's this shared experience for a greater or less that everyone had to some an, an angle on or opinion on or an experience of yeah and in terms of teachers who were abroad who couldn't go home or fly home or travel <laughs> the feelings of isolation and um, feelings of depression or being cut off from family and all these kinds of yes you can ring people yes you can zoom as we've been talking about but a lot of people's mental health went took a real downturn and, and people <laughs> teachers who we know are often overworked and are potentially vulnerable to things like burnout and depression and anxiety those teachers even teachers that didn't have anxiety suddenly got anxiety because of the uh, yeah. because of lockdowns so i did a piece of research originally in 2017 2018 on on teacher like language teacher mental health and then i did an updated version uh, uh, 18 months ago uh, after my first summer in sheffield which was looking at how the pandemic had affected people's health and i i published that on on my website and if you go to my twitter it's it's still the pinned tweet at the top about yeah. mental health of language teachers during the pandemic so i wrote mostly from the teacher's perspective not the student's perspective so um that's always been my interest area and my interest area stems from people like sarah mercer talking about well-being of teachers yeah. students well-being of course students well-being is is important of course and i'm sure Teachers and I know teachers talk training. Train, teachers talk vid, tr, radio. So I will get it right. I'm getting mixed up with Russell's website and this, <laughs> and this, and this platform. Teachers talk radio. If I get it right, get my teeth back in. So it's too many T's. Um, I think there's a lot of talk about student well-being, but yeah. I think Tom, Tom in particular, likes to focus on teachers. And teach and Tom is another one. Tom was Tom was focused um, featured in a book by Chris Eyre some time ago uh, called "The Elephant in the Staff Room." And that was it's about four or five years old now. And Sarah Mercer herself has has quoted from Chris Ayer's book. And Tom is quoted uh -huh. in on page six or seven of that. Um, and it's just, I think, I can't remember exactly what he said. It was feeling like a shell, being completely burnt out from being a, being a high school teacher. Um, yeah. And and I picked up on those kind of elements when I when I did my own research into that, which I say, which I updated um, 18 months ago with research into, not, it wasn't like numbers this time. The first one had about 500 responders around the world the second one had right. about 170 but it was about wow. quality not quantity and it was about getting real qualitative experiences anonymous as well of of, of teachers um reactions to adverse conditions and the pandemic certainly added to those adverse conditions oh yeah definitely you're absolutely right i think um the i think the pandemic was a sea change for most teachers um i think one of the things that became very clear as it went on is just the amount of changes that teachers had to cope with you know teachers who perhaps had never taught online needed to learn how to teach online very quickly etc and then post pandemic has been even worse for for a lot of teachers well if they had to do uh, deal with hybrid classes with some students at home and some in the classroom the amount of extra work that is meant for many many teachers has been incredible isn't it it's like really must have been really difficult for so many people yeah and, and just to draw square the circle if that's the right expression um what i learned 
during the pandemic and I wasn't even abroad. I was in the UK. Yeah. Uh, I had no intention of going abroad for conferences or any other or jobs or anything else. But what yeah. I discovered was um, the jobs, the, 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 the jobs that I had, the work that I was getting was not enough for me. I could have been employed full time all of the time because of my experience in online tools and online teaching. Yeah. However, I was underemployed, I would say. Um, so I needed about what, what we now choose. I needed about a year to 18 months ago. I just needed to get a secure job. I needed job security because job security is a big thing that can, can lead to anxiety. And it's, I know it has done for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got that now. I finally got a job. Okay, I'm not an it's English wonderful. language teacher. I'm not an English language teacher, but I, I had to kind of move away. And this is quite pertinent for a lot of people who are in English language teaching a lot of my friends, a lot of my colleagues, I just went to IOTF in Belfast and a lot of mm-hmm. my, you know, people are still in English language teaching trying to make a living out of it, but it's not the best paid business and it's and it's not the, the, the thing that offers most job security. We do it because we love it. We do it because we are, as Fish said at Glasgow, rock and roll teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to get job security and I've got that now. So, but I'm at the age now where I think I probably deserve to have a, you know, a, a steady income after of course. years of being, a, as I say, a rock and roll teacher. Of course. Traveling yeah, on. it's always, it's, it's difficult, isn't it, when you're um, in English language teaching in particular because uh, of the nature of most of the contracts, especially if you work abroad, um, if you move from country to country, then it becomes difficult to find very stable employment or employment that seems to be um, longer term than shorter term. Um, definitely. I think there are, there are, I have friends in particular live who live in Barcelona, for example, who have stayed in the classroom, uh, unlike myself and are continuing as teachers and are very happy there. And they have got themselves into what is basically they, you could call it stable employment. And I think it's just through being there, making the contacts, establishing relationships with schools, you know, changing schools to get better contracts um, with certain schools. But they still, I think there's still a degree of uncertainty around. You're never quite sure. I mean, one example of that is during the pandemic, I think, or shortly afterwards, the International House, um, Eastern Spain, the IHES um, chain collapsed actually and was closed and a lot of some of my some people I knew uh, were left without work and they'd worked for them all of their careers I remember you know some of them have been there for 20-25 years. Yeah it's interesting because we've got a rail strike rail strike going on in the UK right now um, and um, that's fueled by the unions and the need for, for better job security basically um, and sometimes there's a lack of that happening within our industry. But as you say, Barcelona was one that shocked everyone in the LT business because because um, you know if IH can or IH school can go down through either mismanagement or some other factor, then then because of the pandemic and the lack of income and all that sort of thing, then then it's like how risky are teachers jobs? Um, so yeah, anyway, I'm not yeah. the expert here. I'm not the expert. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, Phil, we're kind of running out of time, so I'm going to wrap it up there. I want you to th- want to thank you very, very much for uh, coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to catch up and to talk to you today. Uh, pleasure to be. Thank you for inviting me. Pleasure to, to, to speak to you. Um, and um, 
I'm, I'm so proud of what Tom has done. And I know you listen to this later on. And well done, Tom. Congratulations for not just for EduDate, but for, for Teachers Talk Radio and, and setting this whole up. It's, it's quite amazing when I see people like Graham and Jane uh, and uh, Harry Walters with shows on this platform that, that Tom initially set up for, I think, for high school teachers or state school teachers. And I just think it's phenomenal that you know, people are connecting in this way. Yeah, it's something I saw and, uh, and and I was particularly interested in it. I started listening to it and I thought, oh, I'd love to do that. And then I just sort of, well, why why shouldn't I put myself forward? Mm-hmm. And I've uh, not looked back. So I've really enjoyed it. For me, it gives me an excuse to reach out and connect to people like yourself who I've been out of touch with for a little while and, uh, and have a conversation. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, um, and I know I was asked, oh, I think Tom suggested that I should become a host, but at the time... I was very, I wasn't particularly well. I wasn't particularly mentally well at the time yeah. I was considered. And um, one thing I've always had to say, or one thing that uh, I often talk about is, is saying no to things. You, you, sometimes yes. you, you need to say no to things, especially when it's voluntary. Um, you, you can, as teachers, we, we like to get involved. We like to change lives and affect people's lives. Uh, we have a love for what we do, whether it's state school teaching or if it's uh, language teaching or university teaching or tutoring, whatever it might be, we have a love, but you have to say no occasionally, you can't take on everything. So I, I de- politely declined on the basis that good people like yourself and Jane and Harry will carry the mantle and they will interview people like Catherine Villesborough and loads of other people that we know in, in, the, in the ELT. I think Christopher Graham's on Harry's show on Wednesday, so marvellous. Fantastic. Okay, well, thank you again, Phil. And that brings us, folks, to the end of today's morning break. Thank you very much to Phil Longwell and all of you who joined us live. Remember, there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week, and the next show will be with Nathan Ginn at 6 p.m. British summertime. Join me again next week at the same time. Bye for now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.